Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music is Not a Genre, the interview edition. Uh, if you are seeing our lovely faces, it's because you are a member of my Patreon community. And thank you so much for that, patreon.com slash music is not a genre. If you are listening to us on any of the audio platforms, you can find Music is Not a Genre at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. And you can also donate to the cause there if you feel so moved. Or you can catch almost everything, ironically, except for this, on youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo, where uh, most of my podcasts are, as well as some live music and a bunch of other things. Let's get to today's guest. With me is Leslie Goshko. She is a comedian, music writer, and host. Uh, she does weekly live piano karaoke accompaniment at Sid Gold's Request Room. She is the host and creator of Sideshow Goshko Storytelling Series, and a whole lot else we'll talk about later. Leslie, how you doing? I'm good. You nailed that. Oh, thanks. You got <laughs> you, you, one take. Yeah, that was awesome. You got my last name right. You got everything. You got that was that was pro. That, oh, that was thanks, pro thanks. You know, I hate yeah. editing, so I just like to get it all done at once. You know. Good. Good. <laughs> so you seem good. You're good today. Yeah. yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm here. Good. Now, that's, it's, that's, uh, that's... I'm sober before 3 PM. So that's, that's good. <laughs> that counts for a lot these days. You know, on a Friday yeah. it does. Uh, yeah. I'm really feeling the Friday this week. <laughs> uh, so, so as always, for those of you who know, uh, first question, how do we know each other? Well, I believe it was at an airport in Lisbon. No, um, <laughs> I, I was thinking about this and I, I don't actually remember how we met. I'm going to assume it was through your lovely fiance, Catherine. Is that right? I, I don't think so, but I will tell you why. Okay. This is the weird thing. And I think this is one of the more interesting answers to this question. Any of my guests, because we and I think this was the first time I ever encountered you, uh, worked with another uh, guest of mine from last season, Fred Sauter. Oh, yes. And we did his music show and, and uh, pretty that, sure the first time. That is how we met. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, and then I learned because I knew Catherine before I met you. Yes. And then you told me you guys were just dating at the time. And yes. I was like, oh my God, I love her. I remember, yes, that's how we met. Right, which was an, uh, that was just an awesome coincidence because the whole, the whole reason that Catherine and I are together was because she came to that show of Fred's 
Oh, crazy. And it was just a weird, like, oh, you know her too. And all of that, but had, you know, like, I don't know what would have happened had she not come, but like that kind of snowballed everything to where we are now. So I mean, I don't want to take full credit for you guys getting married, but mm -hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to say pretty much I am Cupid in your relationship. Yeah. Well, you're the only guest this week, so you have full right to do that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah perfect it's all coming together yes 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 <laughs> so uh the well let's get to the what the people want to hear uh which is you about you i ask this of everyone and i honestly don't care where you start where you end you can start from 60 years before you were born if you so choose but tell everybody your story whatever that means to you oh god <laughs> <laughs> Well, one drunk night when my mom and dad were together. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, I'm from Chicago. I grew up, I was born in the city and then I grew up in the suburbs. And uh, I started piano when I was five. And uh, I was a classical pianist. That's what I started learning. Um, I mean, not right away, <laughs> but that's what I went into. So there was a really good, of course, music scene in Chicago. And so there were a lot of like classical piano competitions for youth. So I was doing like this competition circuit outside of Chicago for many, many years, like up until I was like in junior high, I think. And then uh, I just, when I got to high school, I just kind of stopped playing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm done with that. Like we're, we're good. Um, and then I got really into academics and then I was like, oh wait, I didn't ask you, should I not swear on here? <laughs> now nah, you can swear. That's all right. I mean, I, I can curb it. I just you have can, like a sailor stuff. So I just want to check. I'm not sure any place this is on has any censorship at all. So just, you know, go for okay, it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I finished high school and I was kind of like, oh shit. Uh, I didn't really think about going to college <laughs> because my, my parents, uh, they just were, like neither of them went to college. My dad was of the, I have older parents. Um, so he was just kind of of that ilk where it's like, oh, you work a corporate job for 40 years, you retire, that's what you do. And my mom was like pretty much a stay at home mom. And so they never like pushed anything, but I was like, oh, maybe I should go to college. Uh, I'm broke. I need money. Uh, so I was like, oh, I'll spend the summer trying to like kind of relearn piano and try and get a classical piano scholarship. So that summer, I just, I found a piano teacher and that's all I did every single day for hours trying to get, and you have to do a certain repertoire when you go in for a music program, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, you need this Baroque piece, you need this, whatever, you know, romantic, that, that, all this stuff. So I had to come up with this full repertoire that I didn't have in the span of like a few months and get it recorded and get it like sent out. So I did that and I got a scholarship, which I don't know how that happened. <laughs> so, so then I, I went into school on a classical piano scholarship. I was a music major for my first year, but I knew I didn't want to like graduate with a degree like that. Um, Cause I didn't, I didn't want to be, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do with that. And also uh, I suck at theory and theory is hard. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so then I became the lucrative drama major and graduated with that degree. Um, 
And then I just set out into the world. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Do you want? And, I, yeah. And then what did you now? So now that's here. That's, that's, that's great. Cause I'm always fascinated by people's kind of formative years because they don't always line up with what they're doing now. You know, I've talked yeah, to people I, who do like musical theater who started in rock or vice versa. And, you know. Yeah. And I, yeah. So I did that class. I had that classical background, <clears throat> excuse me. When I went into my theater degree, I wanted to do musical theater. Like that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to do the singing, dancing, all that jazz. So all that jazz, no time. Uh, reference. Hey, look out. Uh, so I did a theater tour. It wasn't musical. It was just a theater tour. And then I, um, I came back and my then boyfriend, now husband, lived in Oklahoma, moved to Oklahoma. And I was doing like tons of community theater and musicals and, you know, stuff like that. And then um, I got a job becoming a high school drama and choir teacher so and, and I taught musical theater so it was all three it was like all these this artsy stuff totally not qualified to do that job <laughs> I mean like I knew the stuff but like I didn't have a teaching certificate the learning curve was like this I was only like seven years older than some of the kids I was teaching like it was super weird but um all of that like background with you know theory and going in with a music major and all of that stuff like I knew how to read and direct choral music I knew how to mm. be the accompanist for it I knew how to do all this stuff um and then when that was going on long story short uh the Broadway musical Hairspray had an online dance contest I submitted I won and I got flown to New York to perform on Broadway with the cast of Hairspray which was cool <laughs> whoa uh boy so many questions but uh what did you do (laughs) no what did you do in hairspray so they you were flown out there and you were going to perform for one night in one dance number that was the thing oh wow so i was one of the nicest kids in town so you're basically like a a choir member so but not that i'm like oh i'm so great but i picked up the number really fast and they're like oh well let's throw her in another number and then I picked up that one really fast they're like oh let's throw her in another number and they so I got to do three times the amount of stuff I was supposed to do um just because we moved through it really fast which was like that's amazing you know so um I got to do that and then it's everything I dreamed about you know like how did like I peaked early (laughs) (laughs) peaked real early Uh with my one night Broadway performance so after that you know it's like Oh wow, it's easy to be on Broadway. Like I've already, I've already done it. Let's uh let's pack up and move and go to New York. And this is just what I'm gonna do. Yeah. And here I am. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. That that gets me because uh uh I I don't have the same history at all, but there were things I did early on where I thought, oh, this won't be that hard, you know, like I, it's gonna go what the way I want it to go. Man, yeah, no. I think it's just like that's one of the things too, like the older I get, it's just like the bravado of youth where you're just like, of course, of course I'm going to get my way. Of course, this is like, I'm talented, I'm going to do this. And then when stuff happens, you're like, see, it's easy. Yeah. And, then, and then when you have those like first couple like rejections, you're like, why don't they love me? Like, what? what? You, don't, you 
why don't I have like five offers to be on a Broadway show? Why don't they get this? So yeah, Sad. that was a great. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> good learn. Yeah, learning experience. So now, how how long did you did you teach, and how did you like it? I taught for two years. Uh, the first year I taught adjunct, but so I taught three classes. So I was really only one class away from being full-time, but I taught three classes. Mm. And then the second year they brought me on full-time. I, I liked it. It's not my calling. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, I, I had a really good rapport with my students because it's kind of like, like I love to host stuff. You know, I host a storytelling show. Yeah. I do piano karaoke. To me, that's like hosting. You know, it's like you're throwing a party, you're doing a show. Like, yeah, you have to like technically play, but like that's the way I see it. So it's kind of like when you're a teacher, at least the school I was at, it was a charter school and it was uh, very like you had these very eccentric kids. They wanted to be there because they loved the arts and they loved learning. So I had really, really good students. Like, I love my students. Um, but it's also, you're kind of like, you're kind of performing every day to get this information to them and stuff. So that aspect and like the rapport and everything, I really liked, you know, grading papers, <laughs> like uh, lesson planning, parent teacher conferences, all the logistics stuff, you know, mm -hmm. that's kind of, that wasn't up my alley. So um, I knew that wasn't going to be like my career path. It, it was for a certain place and time and I'm grateful for it because I got a lot of good experience and I got to meet a lot of great people and I'm still in touch with some of my students which oh, like they have kids now which blows my mind I'm just like <laughs> <laughs> you're still 17 like <laughs> but they're like 30 32 now and it's just crazy so just two years but um it was it was definitely an interesting experience <laughs> I, I admire that it only took you two years to figure out that it wasn't for you because I taught for almost a decade uh, what did you what did you teach private uh a piano voice and theory and a little guitar and bass oh. but mostly just all a bunch of private students in like the philadelphia area new york i mean new jersey pennsylvania and uh yeah once i left i realized oh i actually didn't like that very much and right? you know and what i found in my old age is similar to what you said is that i actually love talking I love talking about music and yeah. sharing it in that way. But the but the actual kind of rubrics of teaching, like I, I enjoyed putting like the theory together because I've, I've always been into that. But just the process of it, it's not my temperament is really what it is. Yeah, it's I I have people ask me sometimes like at Sig Golds or just even people I'll get messages from friends and they know I play and they'll be like, oh, hey, do you? teach lessons so and so needs a recommendation or so and so wants to take piano lessons and I'm always like nope <laughs> I learned a <laughs> yeah. lot nope I just don't do it yeah. like I was teaching this woman uh two years ago she was uh, a woman in her 50s and she wanted to start and she was a friend of a friend and so I was like I'll I'll give it a go and like she was nice and it was fine but like it just I I just never looked forward to, you know, I was like, all right, we'll do the thing. And nothing against people who love teaching. Like I've, I think people, music teachers are amazing. Our school teachers are amazing. For me, I just know that like, it's not my jam. <laughs> so I, I usually kind of nip it in the butt. I'm just like, mm, nah, I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I completely understand that. And, and the people I know who teach and who stick at it, 
I mean, I'll teach, like, like you said, I'll teach, if my kids ask me, what's this? I'll teach them that, but that's my yeah. kids, you know? Yeah. And now ironically, my daughter's becoming a teacher. I, uh, I hope not, you're making them yeah. pay for those lessons though. Oh, every, every dime. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. yeah. No, in, in love, not money. I earned their love by teaching them. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. Um, but so now you let's, let's shift. So you went to, you did your hairspray and then, and then at what point did you decide, well, I want to move to New York and do this? It was pretty fast. So that was February of 2007 and we were here in July of 2007. So I finished out the school year, we sold everything and we just moved up here. Like we came up here a week before we moved. And we stayed with a friend and we're like, oh, we're going to come up here for a week and find an apartment. Like now knowing what I know, living here as long as I have, I'm like, I would never tell, like, you know how long it takes to find a place and there's credit <laughs> and this, that. We just came up here, no clue. And I was just like, we're going to find an apartment. And we did. Like, oh. it was crazy. We found it like the third day and we had set aside a week, but you know, it was like a little under the table. Like this woman was subletting and. Um, you weren't really supposed to have people in the co-op, you know, but it worked out and she was an artist and we mm. actually got outbid on the apartment, but she was like, listen, I'm an artist. I really admire what you guys are doing. I want to rent you this apartment. You know, oh. it was so cool. Wow. So now granted it was like a 300 square foot <laughs> studio. The very first night we were there, the pipe burst in the ceiling, there were mice at like, but we had an apartment. So. Um, moved up here and then I started going to like all these auditions but I don't want to get into such all the boring stuff but actors equity I don't know how much you know it's like to get these auditions really you have to be equity if you're not you just go and you wait literally all day from like six in the morning until whenever to see if they'll see you and I did that every day I would be up at 5 30 waiting outside the building at like 6 30 till we could get in. And then you're signing this unofficial list. You're just waiting all day. And then it's like 4 PM and they're like, sorry, we're not seeing you. And that's your day. Uh, I yep. did that for months and months and months, like yeah. grinding it out. And it was so like soul crushing. And, uh, and then I was also doing comedy. I'd always done comedy and improv and all that. So I was doing mm-hmm. stand up and all of that kind of jazz um, and storytelling. And it was, uh, through that. And I wasn't playing piano. I hadn't been playing piano. I had done my teaching stuff, but that was just like accompanist stuff. I wasn't really like playing, playing. And then there was um, a storytelling music band here that was like, don't you play piano? And I was like, yeah, but I haven't played in a long time. They're like, we're, we're very simple. Everything's like CFG, like one, four, five chords. And I was like, I can do that. And I started with that. And then that got me back into playing here a very, very simple way to do it. Wow. But like, I never thought, I, I never came here being like, oh, I'm going to make money playing music. Never. I, I My whole thing was, oh, I'm going to be on Broadway. I'm going to be singing, doing comedy. That's going to be my thing. It's, I'm very grateful that like, I can make money doing what I do, but that was never what I set out to do. Because I had huge spans of years where I just wasn't playing at all. I didn't even have a keyboard of my own until like, I think like what's what are we 2021 maybe like six years ago <laughs> like oh, I didn't wow. even have a keyboard because <laughs> I was just like eh, that's not that's not really what I do yeah you never quite know where things are going to end up you know despite your plans um, yeah 
That's that's what I tell myself when it's like 3 a.m. and I'm drunk in a cab and then I end up in Brooklyn and it's like, ah. Oops. You, sounds like you lead a fun life. I, I like. <laughs> yeah. The, um, the yeah, and again, I respect that you. I'll say only did all those auditions for months because I know I I I did a few of them and was I was done like right away. And I and I know a lot of people who do them all the time for years and years. And it's, it's, it's exhausting. It's so hard and. I mean, even if you are equity and you can get into those auditions, you know, you're still competing with all of these other people and all of that jazz. Um, I I think it was 2013, around there, um, the Broadway musical once had an open audition. And I was like, finally, I was like an open audition. The girl plays piano. I was like, yeah. I, I have at least a little bit of an edge. I was like, and I hadn't, I hadn't auditioned for years, for years. So I went into this uh, audition for once and I knew at least I could play. I was like, even if I suck, I know that my playing will be okay. So I go in and um, they gave me the callback right in the room. That had never happened to me. Mm. They're like, Here, they're like, we want you to come back tomorrow, whatever it was. Uh, and I was like, oh my God. And I was like, what part? Like, what part could I, I had never even seen the movie. I'd never seen the musical. I'd never seen the movie, nothing. And it was for the lead. They were calling me back for the lead. Oh, I know the lead. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like from the girl who couldn't get into a room. Like I couldn't get into the room to the audition. And wow. now they're like, come back for a callback for the lead. I was like, this is my break. Yeah. Um, I had two more callbacks. I ended up not getting it, but that was like another high point, even though I didn't get it. Cause I was like, I've never had two callbacks for the lead in a Broadway show ever. Yeah. Haven't sense. But <laughs> you know, that was like another kind of indicator that music was kind of a uh, something that worked for some reason it worked so i don't know <laughs> so you think maybe this the the you realizing that music was the thing that would work best for you was kind of a gradual thing yeah it was it was always i just always had it as like oh this is something i can do but i'm doing this thing over here you know yeah. and then someone would be like oh can you do a thing and I was like oh yeah with the thing I can do okay yeah I'll pull that out and then I'll put it away and I'll do that so and then I started doing these um I called them an old-fashioned piano party and I would do them at now R.I.P. Cornelia Street Cafe but I did it at Cornelia Street Cafe and I would just do stories and comedy and songs and I would just curate like an evening and I'd always get like my hair done and like these old vintage things. Like I made it like a thing, you know, yeah. it was through doing a lot of those as well that I got really comfortable with playing and singing with kind of making my own arrangements of things, just being on stage for a long period of time, you know, just, just me for like an hour and a half doing a musical show. You know, I did quite a few of those and that was a really good learning experience. Um, and then I got a recommendation from my friend for about the losers lounge, which I'd never heard about. Yeah. Um, and that kind of led into a whole other thing, which is what I do now. <laughs> well, it seems like your, your background kind of lent itself to you doing that because you already, you were doing comedy and you like to host and you know, piano and you can sing. So those kind of shows you're putting all those skills together. Yeah. And it's fun to kind of do that when it's like, um, when you're, I heard someone define it and I'm going to mess it up now, but you know, when they say you're in the zone and the zone is when you're using your skill, it's 
at a challenging level, but you're able to do it. You know, it's like you've challenged yourself, but to a place where you can execute what you want to do. So those shows were really good for that because I would pick like difficult songs that I'm like, oh shit, I actually got to really, <laughs> I got to actually really <laughs> practice it. You know, I, I can't just like phone it in and be like, oh, I'll just, so I read this chart or whatever. Mm. Like I really had to like read the sheet music. I really had to learn it and just arranging things and making them how I liked it. So those shows and all of that really helped me a lot and just get me more comfortable playing in front of people because I hadn't done it in so long. I remember the first piano party I did. I, I, I played Elton John since I was like 12, but, um, it was a song I was doing Benny and the Jets. I played that song like a thousand, more than a thousand times. Mm. And my hand was just like this at the piano. It was the first song of the night. And I was like, oh my God, everyone gets, I was just so nervous. Even though I've like, I've been playing music my whole life, but I hadn't been used to just like, hey, it's just me for an hour and a half playing in front of like 50 people. Or, hey, let's go. Yeah, that's that's big. It's, it's interesting to me what makes people nervous and what doesn't. I, I remember when I was, pretty young, probably a teenager, maybe early twenties, even I never felt that great about my piano playing. Um, even though I, I did some classical training too. I was not awesome at that, but I did, you know, a kind of a mishmash of different kinds of playing, which was fine, but I could sing on a dime. Just tell me what to sing and I won't get nervous at all, but to sit down those first few years and actually play piano in front of people, I was shaking too. It's, it's, and I think also like, I mean, you said you have some classical training and stuff like classical, especially when you're in a competition form, like you have to come in with all the copies of your music, all your measures numbered, all of your stuff. And they're, as you're playing, they're checking this shit off. Like, did she miss that accidental? She didn't get this, uh, you know, she missed that forte. She missed this staccato. She missed this. It's really technical you know and so I had that mindset very much that like if you're going to play you have to play it all absolutely correctly then when I kind of transitioned into like pop rock contemporary stuff even at those piano parties I was so nervous because I'm like I have to I have to get this lick absolutely correct I have to I have to you know it it was so like and then now I've done it like so many times I'm like who cares (laughs) right (laughs) it's like first of all people don't care that much they really don't Mm -mm. like they don't. I mean, if you, you can just play, or if you're on guitar and you're just like strumming, you know, GCD and it's not the most technical stuff, but like you're singing with soul and you, you're connecting with them. That's so much better than someone who's just like ripping it up and doing all this stuff, but they're like soulless, you know, it's like same thing. That's what I found. It's really about connecting more than it is about the technical. That's amazing. That's beautiful because it's, it's something I've believed for a long time. And I used to, I used to think I was giving myself an easy out by saying, well, I'm not shredding. So uh, this is my excuse is because I'm doing this other. But, you know, people don't care. And that idea of connecting and that idea of getting kind of the emotion and the and the essence of the song across is way more important than any of that. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at like at a bob dylan song it's like you have like two or three chords but you know why do people resonate so much with that you know it's it's yeah. just like and some of these simple songs you have like these bill withers songs that are literally like two chords three chords there's not any like crazy soloing you know there's none of that no crazy like runs or but it's it's you just hear ain't no sunshine you're just like ah oh, yeah, yeah you know yeah. and that's that's what it's about you know it's if you can do all that technical shit great you know like i hear some of these like um like i hear like john baptiste play that dude's insane like (laughs) 
I love to hate him. <laughs> I don't hate him. I hate how good he is. Like he's so good, but I'm like his biggest fan. Like I say it with all due respect. That dude is so, he just, all this complex jazz progressions and all this stuff. Like he's like on another planet, you know, I don't do that. I'm not a jazz musician. I, I don't have that skill set. That's not my whatever, but what I do and the older I get, I'm more comfortable being like, that's his lane and he's killing it. You know, I'm in my lane and I'm trying to kill it the best I can. And that's what I found the more I, I get older. You know, I can appreciate what this person does, what that person does, what I do, just because, you know, you're not doing crazy shit or whatever. doesn't mean that what you do is any less because people are connecting with you for a different reason or, you know what I mean? And, and same thing when I used to do musical theater, I was always trying to sing like, oh, why don't I sound like Kristen Chenoweth? Why don't I sound like so-and-so? Why, you know, well, I'm an alto and I have a raspy rock voice and that's just my thing. And it took me all the way, really probably until I was like in my thirties to realize, oh, this is what I do. You know, this is my thing. Right. And I, yeah, I, you know, the more, yeah, the more experience it's, I feel like no one else is you. You are you, what you do. And people can tell, even if it's not in here, maybe in their gut, when you are trying to be something other than you're not. So the yeah. sooner you can accept that, you know what? This is my zone. This is my wheelhouse. And this is also actually what I love. People will feed off of that. People, yeah. I mean, humans were all fucking damaged. <laughs> <laughs> but we all have an innate sense of wanting to connect. That's not anything mind blowing. I mean, everyone knows that, but you can sense a real connection and you can sense a false one. Like people are yearning for someone to have a, a standpoint and a viewpoint and a sense of self. So talent level, I mean, skill level, all of that can have a wide variance of degree but people can still totally jam on like some tone deaf guy singing about cats or something. You know, some people are like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and then you have like these jazz greats or then you have Yo-Yo Ma or you have, you know, your Broadway singer, Adina Menzel. And you, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just all over. But as long as you're, I think, kind of excavating your own shit and trying to get better, then you're doing okay, I think. <laughs> yes, yes. Do, do you think at this may seem like it comes out of nowhere, but I feel like uh, an artist whose background is more varied, diff all different kinds of music, different artists that they like, different, you know, all of that has a tendency to look at all of that kind of music out in the world and at some point strike a comparison and say, well, well, I've done classical, so now I'm comparing myself to that, or I've done rock, I've done musical theater, and then the and then kind of finding that center of you to say, well, sure, I I can do that, but that's not my that's not really my main main thing, or that's not really what I'm interested in, or what I'm the best at. And they're the people who maybe have this one zone where they've been in that zone their whole lives, and that's all they do. They couldn't care less what John Baptiste is doing or Adina Menzel because they're the next Bob Dylan or whatever it is or Bill Withers. Do yeah. You, so do you feel like your diverse background had a hand in how you thought about all of that? I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question, Nick. Mm -hmm. uh, I think <laughs> I think honestly because my background was very varied. You know, it was theater, classical, and then rock, and improv, and storytelling. It was all these things. I think it used to bother me, actually, 
because I wanted just one thing to do. And it, that just wasn't the reality. So I felt like, not like it was a burden that I did all these things, but it, sometimes it bothered me that I couldn't just be like, and here's the lane I'm going and I'm going to do a thousand percent in this because it was a bunch of different things. So for a while it actually bothered me, but now I feel like they all play together. I feel like, you know, like if you take comedy, I, comedy and music are just so similar to me. It's all about rhythm and flow and cadence and phrasing and all of that kind of timing. You know, when I think of comedic stuff, like if I have to do like a, a comedic monologue or I'm hosting something, like I, I think of that. I think of the rhythm, rhythms. I think of the timing. I think of this. And so it's very natural and it goes well together. So I find now that I find them all complementing each other. But in the beginning, when I was really young, I just saw everything so black and white. I'm like, well, what do I do? What, what does this mean? You know, and really they all kind of help each other. But and I think it's also natural to compare yourself no matter what. I mean, and it's easy to, you know, like a beginning writer comparing themselves to Stephen King or, you know, it's it's like you're comparing, you know, the that saying like you're comparing your chapter one to someone else's chapter 23 where they are in their life you know right i i didn't study jazz theory for you know 20 years like i didn't do that you know but i'll look at john patis and i'm like he's so good yeah (laughs) yeah. that's not where i put my efforts you know that's not what i what i did Um, no you're right though and no matter how much we want to empower ourselves and say you're your only you or whatever we just do have a tendency to compare Oh, yeah. And I didn't mean to make this the John Baptiste <laughs> interview. I'm sure I'll, I'll send it to him and see what you know. Yeah. yeah. Be like, here, she really loves you, but she hates how good you are. She hates, yes, uh-huh. yes. Yeah, it's a begrudging <laughs> love. Yeah. Begrudging love that she has for you. You know, yeah, yeah go ahead. No, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's natural to compare. And, you know, and a lot of times that comparison comes out of admiration. Like, oh, wow, that's so good. I... I wish I had, why didn't I think of that? Or why, oh, I wish I could kind of do that or whatever. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it gets to be a problem if it, if you start looking at everyone else so much to where then it kind of stunts you from doing anything <laughs> where you get like paralyzed with, I saw, mm-hmm. or I'm not them or whatever, you know, appreciation and taking little bits of, that's more of what I see now. It's like, oh, I really, I can appreciate them and know that them doing their thing doesn't take away from me doing my thing. It doesn't make my thing any less, their thing anymore. That's a cool thing they're doing. Oh, I could, that makes me think of this thing I could incorporate. So now I see it as much more of a, just like, oh, we're all kind of here and you can take bits and see things and admire and not get so caught up, hopefully. (laughs) And I think that's, uh, to me, that's kind of the best conclusion of, you know, that, that sense of, comparing yourself to a lot of people or having a very background is you get to a point where you can take all of that and integrate what works for you so that who you become and who you are and and continue to become is all informed by this variation, but it's not like held slave to any one particular kind of music or one artist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right on, Nick. <laughs> Yay. Um, and I, I, I want to go back to one comment you made about comedy because I did a podcast episode for a while. I was going through my vinyl collection and I happened to have a vinyl of uh, Eddie Murphy and um, Mackenzie Brothers. 
Nice. Um, yeah. And, uh, and I was like, well, how do, how do I tie this in? Because I, I, I'm going to, my objective was look, every single album I own, I'm going to talk about, but it, but it dawned on me that yes, comedy and music have so much in common. They really, Conan O'Brien had made a comparison I, on, one, on one episode of his show, but he was talking about, he's like, I'm actually surprised when comedians don't play an instrument. He's like, because they're so like kind of symbiotic, like it just makes sense. You know, I used to, when I was young, I, and I still am obsessed with him. I love him. He'll, he'll be my second husband. My husband's not listening. He's sitting over here, but he's not listening. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like I would listen. Yeah. Shh, I love you, Steve Martin. So I would listen to Steve Martin albums over and over and over everything I could read about him. I just obsessed and I, his musical talent and his timing and his cadence and just so talented. Like I just always looked up to that. I just, it just went together so naturally, you know, and just so talented. And then he did a thing. I think he did a thing on Broadway, didn't he? With Brandy Carlisle or, or, or was it? No, it wasn't her. It was, um, oh, now I'm going to say the wrong thing. He teamed up with some singer songwriter. I should have, I should have researched this, but they did a thing and that was very natural. And it went on stage and like, it just makes sense to me. I always remember Conan being like, I'm just surprised if people don't do both. And I think it's, I'm like, yeah, I, I always expect like every comedian or <laughs> storyteller. I'm like, oh yeah, sure. You played like five instruments. I get that. <laughs> that makes, yeah. I, I'm, I love that you referenced the Conan because it, it seems like you have a whole hell of a lot of experience in comedy and well then i fooled you no. too no. <laughs> <laughs> which by the way i have to say this but this feels like uh uh stephen colbert interviewing samantha b or something it's like two hosts you know <laughs> like the, like you're so good at just taking the ball and everything. yeah uh but the but like the 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 because i have I, my secret is whatever all this music i've done i've always just wanted to try stand-up but my comedy is so conditional on whatever circumstance I'm in that I'm like, oh God, I don't know how hovery, I can't even fill three minutes, you know? And so for, for you to be able to not just do comedy by itself, but then to integrate that into your music, that just blows me away. Oh, thanks. I, I will say, so when I came to New York and then I was doing musical theater, I started doing stand-up. I had done stand-up before outside of Chicago, I had done like open mics and I'd always done improv. So I had that, but I, I don't know if you remember the comedy club comics. It's, it's long gone. It was like on 14th, uh, in between seventh and eighth Avenue. Mm -hmm. That's like where, where I really kind of cut my teeth. And that's where I started sideshow gospel act actually Ooh. shout out to Cambry Cruz because she gave me my first job. <laughs> they had a basement called Ochi's lounge. That's where, I mean, I, I did, they had a ton of open mics down there and I was doing open mics and shows down there with, I saw Reggie Watts when he was starting out, mm -hmm. Kate McKinnon. I did a show with her down there, just open mics, all of these Nick Kroll, John Mulaney. Um, mm -hmm. There were just tons of them that came through that small basement. God. It, it, yeah, it was amazing. And um, I was, I mean, my standup was not good. <laughs> I was trying to be. Yeah some amalgamation between Steve Martin and Sarah Silverman. And it just came out really weird. Ooh, it was, wow. it was like really odd, brash humor. Sometimes it hit, sometimes it didn't. Like sometimes I would play the spoons and like do weird observational stuff. So it was all over oh, wow. the place, but um, nice. then I eventually, so there was uh, there, well, there was, she's still very much here. <laughs> Sarah Benincasa had a show 
called Family Hour with Auntie Sarah, and that was storytelling. And I was like, oh, this is way more my lane. Like I can make a story comedic without, and I still had punches in there. Like I still had my setups and my punch lines and all of that, but I didn't, for some reason, I just didn't feel that pressure. It was a little bit more long form. And I think it seemed more musical to me. Like, oh, here's the flow of it rather than me feeling like here's my type five. Let me punch this and go, you know? And then I just took off with storytelling and I did that for many, many years, comedic storytelling. So that was much more my jam, but it started with very bad standup. Ah, <laughs> so many things do. So tell me more about uh, Sideshow Goshko. So Sideshow Goshko storytelling series. Uh, I started that now. I mean, we had the pandemic year off, so I think it's like 12 years old now though. Mm. I started it just because, well, I was broke at the time. And I couldn't afford to get in to see a lot of shows. So like, even if there was a $5 cover, I was like, I don't have $5. Like I can't, I can't do it. So I wanted to start a free show that was storytelling that I could regularly like be hosting, meet other storytellers. And I mean, I'm not going to be like totally altruistic. Like if I'm going to be honest, you know, I was like, oh, I can have people do my show. I can get on their shows. We can do a little you know, scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. So I started it for that. And it just, and then, well, comics shut down. And then I needed a new home for it. I had only been in the city for like a year or two. I was like, where am I going to do the show? And I ended up at the KGB because my husband is a writer. And he was like, oh, I want to check out this literary venue. I'd never heard of it. I was like, Mm -hmm. KGB, what? And the owner happened to be at the bar that night. And we headed off. We're both Ukrainian. (laughs) we just we just hit it off and he's a huge proponent for the arts he's written plays he's written musicals he's written all of this stuff just very much supportive of the arts I told him my situation he's like bring your show here and then we were there we've been there ever since so wow I love KGB I I've done stuff there as uh an actor of of filmmaker and a musician and everything is they, they it's just so accepting of what you're doing and and open and they're, they're just doing it right and even even through all this pandemic stuff the way they're kind of regrouping and all oh, that yeah. it's incredible they've been doing amazing and then also you know horse trade theater is below that yeah um and i met eras and i did the frigid festival i mean it's just like such a great community of people oh, yeah and the whole building, every room, every person who's doing their thing, it was so great. And it was such a warm, welcoming community. Um, they still are. They're still killing the game with what they're doing. They're still they're still here after a really hard pandemic that, that is still ongoing. You know, it's so hard to do art stuff. I mean, I found it during the pandemic not to get all like Bummerville. I know some people are like, I wrote my screenplay and I did this and I did that and I did you know, blah, blah, blah. Like that was not the case for me. (laughs) I was like, I was like, and shutting down. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. There've been people who have said that, like there's all this kind of positive thinking, like the, you know, the pandemic was the opportunity for you to figure your life out or, or shift gears or do whatever. Yeah. Who are those people? (laughs) Right. The pressure of of having to do that in the middle of something that's a huge crisis is like, okay, if it happens, that's wonderful, but it's no, you know? Yeah, no, that, that did not happen for me at all. I, I will say the one thing I was very grateful for, and I didn't realize it until after it was done almost really, but um, Sid Gold's where I do piano karaoke, they 
set up a live stream on their Facebook. And so each of us were doing nights. I did 64 straight Saturdays of those virtual shows. The first two, now the way it was supposed to go is you can't really do karaoke with that. The technology just isn't good. There's, it just doesn't work. What we would do is people would give requests and we would just be sitting there playing and singing. But I did like two of those like that. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't do like, I was bored. I was bored out of my head. I was like, no one wants to see me doing like, you know, don't stop believing just sitting here for like the, <laughs> I, I'm not going to do like three months worth of that. Yeah. So I started creating these themed shows. Every week was a different character. I have, I have so many wigs now. Like my Amazon algorithm is fucked. <laughs> so much weird stuff, but that's what I was doing. Like every Saturday I would have a different character, a different theme. I was, I had props. I had all this stuff and like it was 64 weeks. I think first two were pretty straightforward, but I mean, it was like 62 different themes that I came is a lot. And, but it was funny. It wasn't really till the end of that when I decided to stop that I was like, cause during the whole pandemic, I was like, I haven't done shit. I haven't done anything creative. I haven't done blah, blah, blah. And then when I got to the end of that, I was like, oh, wait, I did like (laughs) 64 shows, 62 of which were all uniquely different. So I guess I did something, but besides that, (laughs) right? Yeah. I wondered that because I saw some of what you did, but I know the thing I noticed the most online was you, you had a different look and outfit, like almost every week, you know, like what's happening, you know, nobody knows. I I was going to say, you you tune in and you're like, what the hell, (laughs) what is this? It, you know, it was fun. You know, it, it, at the end, it kind of became a challenge. Like, oh God, what, what have I not themed? What character have I not come up with? What prop have I not used? Like, uh, but it was a good, I guess, exercise. If you think about it, you know. Did you create, so did you come up with a theme and then the outfit and then all the music would, would connect to that theme? Like, how did you put it together? I would, I would think of a theme first. So sometimes it was really easy. Like I would just be like, on TV and I'd see like a home shopping network and I'd be like, we're doing a home shopping network theme, you know? And like, I find things like around my house, I'm like, you too can have this flower pen, you know, like, (laughs) and I do stuff like that. And then I'd come up with a character and order the wig and all that. And then I would do like, usually, uh, so throughout the whole show, I would do things that were on theme. I would have some songs that were on the theme, but then people were still requesting songs, but then they were requesting songs that had to do with the theme. So it was a very kind of, you know, back and forth thing, which made it very engaging rather than just people being like, can you play this? Can you play this? Like we would have a dialogue through the whole thing. And I had, I met people on there. I had no clue where some were from California. I had never met some were from Pennsylvania, some were from Arizona, some, and it just like grew to this thing. And uh, it was actually really sad when it ended because we were all like, we felt like this little Mm. family and we all got to know each other because it was very interactive, you know, which I was very Yeah. All those connections to people you wouldn't normally connect with. Yeah. That was one of the awesome things. So Sid Gold's is only, is back to just doing live now? They're, yeah, they're back to doing live. They do have some virtual uh, ones, uh, but I am off the virtual market. Okay. <laughs> I'm, okay. At least with that. At least with that. I, might, I have some ideas of some stuff I might do still, but I'm back at Sid Gold's every Saturday night. 
9 p.m. to late. And it's a different thing. You know, it used to be you write your request on a paper slip and bring it up to me. Now it's all digital. Like you scan a QR code. It brings up the song list so you don't have to touch anything. It's all on your own phone. You can tip on your phone. You know, we have plexiglass things up so that you're in your own little thing. I'm on this side, you know, sanitizing wipes, UV light box for the mics. It's a different, so it's a different beast now, but it's, it's still pretty much the same, you know. That's another place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's another place like KGB and Horse Trade that just did such a good job adjusting. And some of the things that they're carrying forward, you know, have even, you know, improved what they're doing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of cool. I was like, are we ever going to get the paper slips back? And they're like, everyone kind of likes this new stuff, you know? So like, just because we had to make changes, it's like, oh, it's kind of improved in different ways and yeah. made it easier for people and stuff like that. So, and I, I will tell everybody out there, I've been to Sid Gold's a few times. I, I think I played there once with Fred, I guess it was, but uh, I love it there. I love everything about it. And it's partly because my dad uh, was, or I guess is uh, retired, but um, a piano player and singer for like 50 years. That's how he supported the family. And he would do four, five, six. First of all, that's amazing right there. That's amazing. Like to to support a family playing music. That's like... Oh, it, but the, the older I get, the more it blows me away. And even he will say he doesn't know anybody today who can do that, except for the just the elite. John Baptiste. There it is. Always back to him. Uh, yeah. Oh, John Baptiste. But, but I say that because the next time that my parents come up, just, you know, whenever they feel like they can, I've been telling him for a couple of years, you've got to go to Sid Gold's because Aww. even though it's different from what he did, the vibe is is so close. It's so akin that he'd yeah. just love it. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of cool too, because depending on which night you go and who's playing, like each player, we all have our, our own lists. Like we curate our own lists, what songs we have on there. Everyone has their own personality. Everyone has their own musical style. So what happens a lot I mean, of course, I know you'll bring your dad when I'm playing. <laughs> of course. Yeah. What other but, option you know, is there? Yeah. People, people have their favorites, you know, that sometimes they go see. They're like, oh, I love who plays on Tuesday. Or I love who plays on Friday. And, you know, you get your regulars and learn who plays what, how you like that. So it's kind of fun to go on different nights too, try out different players and all that stuff. But yeah, everyone yeah. come on my night. <laughs> well, first of all, yes. And when we come, it will be on your night for sure. The only other person I've seen there is Paul Leshen. Oh, yeah. And I love he's freaking awesome. And I, the reason I even know about it was because of him, because he and Fred wrote a musical that I was in. Yeah, and all yeah. That. Was, it, was it that? Uh, it wasn't the Bed Bugs musical, was it? No, it was the one after that it was Astronaut Love Show. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Crazy, crazy. I loved it. But Paul is actually a future guest on this uh, show. So. Oh, tell him yeah. I say hi. I love Paul. I will. Such a talented, talk about a talented guy. Oh so God. talented. So just wonderful. I sing his praises. He's amazing. Yeah. The things he was able to pull up and play on the spot on his iPad just blew me away. You know? Oh, I, he's a freak in the best way. I say yeah. that with absolute love. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, he's a freak. <laughs> now, before I forget, tell me more about the Loser's Lounge. Okay. So, so glad you asked. Uh, mm-hmm. The Loser's Lounge uh, is created by and hosted by Joe McGinty, who also is a co-owner of Sid Gold's. And a friend of mine years ago was like, 
oh, you should do Loser's Lounge. And I was like, I have no idea what that is. So he sent a video clip from my piano parties to Joe McGinty. And he saw I played piano and that's how I got the SIDS thing. But he was also like, he brought me into Loser's Lounge. So Loser's Lounge, it's a, it's a tribute show, but it's like more than your average tribute show. They have this amazing band. So it's Joe McGinty and the Joe McGinty 7. They have a residency at Joe's Pub. We're finally coming back in December, but each show it's a different tribute to an artist. So it might be Prince, it might be um, the Rat Pack, it might be Queen, it might be, you know, any of these things. And so we're going to be back in December uh, doing George Harrison, but there's like 20 singers in a show. So you get this huge array of voices, styles, types, everything. So the band stays the same, but you have like this huge catalog of singers uh, who they're constantly rotating. It's different sometimes even from night to night, you know, from show to show, but you'll get like 20 different performances around one artist's work. And it's, it's a really cool show. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Oh my and God. And they've been going for like 20 plus years. It's, oh my God. it's insane. That's at Joe's Pub? or Joe's Pub, yeah. So I think the next one, it's, it's going to be our first time back. They've done some other smaller ones. They just did one at City Winery. Um, mm. They had a couple other ones. But this is like, Joe's Pub is like their home. Like that's their residency home. Um, so I think the next one is December 7th through 11th. Well, that's going to be our first. So I'm really excited because nice. I'm going to get to do that one. So that's going to be uh... like my first time back at Joe's Pub in almost two years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's the, it's some, at some date soon is the 20th anniversary of George Harrison's death. So it's kind of an appropriate, you know. There we go. Yeah. I bet they put it all Tribute. together. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I have a, I, I've been dying to ask this question uh, for a couple of reasons. You mentioned that you are or were the music director for New York One's <laughs> Pat Kieran and Jamie Stelter's show at the 92nd yeah. Street Y, Pat and yeah. Jamie's NY. Yep, did I know. You, when did you do that? That was, God, when was that? That was probably several years ago, maybe four or five years ago. And the way that came about was actually due to a comedy. I was doing these comedy videos. Um, the New York Post had created this thing called Internet Action Force. And it was very short-lived, but it was an online uh, comedic branch for them. And they would bring us in, and I was lucky to be asked to be a part of it. And we would just do these videos. Um, it's like, Americans react to vegetables. Americans react to whatever. <laughs> and it was just these off-the-cuff things. So um, one of the, uh, the people who worked on that, he followed Pat Kiernan and... Uh, Nick Poppy was his name. Hi, Nick. Nick another another yeah. Nick. <laughs> Great guy. And so he saw that uh, Pat Kiernan had tweeted, oh, we're looking for a musical director for a live show. Does anybody know anybody? And I had done all these video shoots and I'm, I'm always punctual. <laughs> I just, I hate being late. So I was always there early. So me and him would just be talking. So he found out I did music and all of this stuff. And he just tweeted Pat Kiernan. He's like, oh, Leslie Goshko, you should check her out. And the next thing I know, Pat Kiernan's writing me and he's like, would you like to come in for an interview for this job? And I was like, sure. And uh, I, I got hired. And then I, they did like a series, they had like a series of five, I think. So I was just 
I was their musical. I was like their like their Paul Schaefer, basically. You know, oh, nice. they, they would throw things to me. I'd throw things back. I'd do the intro, outro music, little thing. And then they found out, you know, that I had done comedy. So then they also made me, I would warm up the crowd before the show. And then I would sit down and play all the music for the show. <laughs> oh, that's so, so cool. Yeah, wow. it was really cool. I got to, I got to meet like Ad Rock from the Beastie Boys and they just had like really cool guests and it was it was really cool. Uh, yeah, in fact, and that's kind of what it was leading to. First of all, years when I still had cable, I would wake up to, to, to New York One every single day. And right. Pat Kieran and Jamie Stelter, there's like, there was something comforting about just having them. So the fact that you got to work with them is awesome. And, you know. It was really cool. And it was our last KGB sideshow, which was our 11 year anniversary. And that was right before the pandemic. That was January. And then everything shut down in March. Okay. Uh, Pat Kieran and I have a photo. It's on my website if you want to see it. But mm-hmm. I had no idea he was coming. He just showed up to my anniversary show. I was like, Pat Kieran, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I just wanted to come check it out. And like, he was so nice, just totally surprised me at my anniversary show, stuck around for the whole show, like meeting people, taking photos, hanging out, like such a cool guy. It was so nice. That's so great to hear because he seems like a cool guy. So it's nice. Well, to he's Canadian. What do you, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's in their blood. Just the way it is. Uh, yeah. And and then, yeah. So you, when you said you met Ad Rock, I was like, I'm really trying hard not to make the entire interview about this because I'm just a <laughs> huge Beastie Boys fan and I'm very jealous. Oh, I, I, I love Beastie Boys. Like, I love, I just, I love him. I love him. So when he was there, I was just like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. you know, cause I don't want to be like, cause I'm also there as like part of like the team. So I don't want to like fangirl over him. So I was like, yeah. I got to try and be professional. I'm just like, oh, hi, nice. Nice to meet you. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'll be right. playing you on. And then, you know, any request. Okay, good, good, good. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, I, 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 mean, I got a photo with him too. Like there was a photo of everyone that was on that particular show and it's like us and I'm like by Ad Rock. And I'm like. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and there's another perfect example of a band that throughout their career really kind of interwove music and comedy and did it oh, so yeah. well. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I couldn't yeah. say they're just, they're just so effing good. Um, <laughs> now, so we're, we are coming up on our time because I say, I guess, I don't know. It's flown by. It's flown by. It's just been such a delight talking with you. It's been great talking to you. And my, my last question is usually, is there anything else that we didn't hit on that you want to mention to people or any other comments or things that you want people to check out? I just hope you're all doing well. <laughs> I hope you're all hanging in. Uh, just come if you love karaoke. Uh, it's, it's a very karaoke safe space. I make it that way when I'm there, you know, it's, uh, you don't have to be the best singer. We have a good time. Sig Golds, uh, on 26th street, 165, 26th street in between sixth and seventh avenues. I'm there Saturday night. Check out the losers lounge. We'll be back at Joe's pub in December. Uh, and then, uh, lesliegoshko.com. I'll put some stuff up there when I have my gigs all squared away. And uh, hopefully, you know, live performance will become more of a regular thing. You know, still right now, it's kind of a hit and a miss. So, yeah, stutter yeah. starts, you know. Yeah, it, you know, it's, it's like, you can gig yeah. Delta variant. Yeah. yeah. I'm scared to go out. You know, it's like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And uh, I'll tell people who have any experience in karaoke, um, I've never been a, a huge fan of singing as a karaoke artist because, and, and just the way I am with backing tracks or whatever, when you have somebody playing for you and you're doing karaoke, it is a different experience. It is. It's a lot of fun. And you, we, I had one, I'll say this real quick. Last week, this guy did a bridge over troubled water. He killed, I don't know where this guy came from. <laughs> Not that you have to be like the world's best singer, but he was an amazing singer. And we just like, you know, you, it, and if you're an accompanist who's like, you know, you hope you have, and I'm not saying I'm world's best, but you try and work off each other. You try and pay attention. You know, you're not just sitting there like banging it out, but we just went off each other so well with his phrasing. And I followed him and dynamics and all that. And it was just a really cool back and forth. And like, we both got done and we were like, what was that? Like, it was just like such a unique moment that was created. So you have stuff like that when you're with a live musician or pianist or band or whatever. And it's just a whole different thing, you know? Because it's live, you know, it's it's live and it's organic. And then after that, it's done. And it's like, oh, that happened, you know, it's cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Thank you for doing this with me. I had such a great time. Thank you for asking me. I had a great time. I'll, I'll tell people to check, check you out. Well, check thank you. Out. Yes, yes. The feeling is mutual. And uh, I am, for everybody out there, any links, lesliegosco.com and anything else that she shared with me, I'm going to put... Uh, in the text of the video for all of you to please check out and listen and go live uh, when you when you can. That would be great. And thank you to everybody for watching and listening and clicking and, uh, and listening again and sharing and reading and all of that stuff. And thanks again to Leslie. And uh, until the next edition of Music is Not a Genre interview, uh, I, will, I will talk to you later. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.